Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, it's great to see you guys. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. Welcome to our online campus. Always great to have you. And listen, if this is your first time tuning in or first time with us, we are just so glad that you're here. We're not going to ask you to introduce yourself or do anything crazy like that. We're just glad that you're here with us on this Labor Day weekend. Now, I hope you've got big plans for today or big plans for tomorrow. But again, all of you, uh, your time is valuable, and we're so glad that you're here. So you've joined, and hey, if I met you in the lobby and I had a different shirt on, I promise I didn't spill anything. Uh, the camera guy said, man, your shirt is messing with the cameras. Can you change shirts? So I, I obliged so that you guys weren't doing this all day. But we are kicking off a brand new series today called Sand People. And in this series, we're going to talk about those people who are like sandpaper. You know what I'm talking about, people that are kind of abrasive. They may rub us the wrong way. They may take a little bit off of the edges. They're a little bit gritty every time we encounter them. You know anybody like that? Don't point to them. Just acknowledge, yeah, I, I know some people. We've all been around sand people. Some of you work with sand people all the time. Others of you, maybe you live with them. Maybe they're in your extended family or you volunteer with them. So over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about people that we may consider to be a little bit difficult. And so today I want to talk about what I would classify as people who are overly needy. These are a type of sand people. You, you know, these are the people that are they're just constantly in need. And anytime we get around them, they feel a little bit like sandpaper against our skin. And then the following week, we're going to talk about critical people. These are some of the most difficult sand people to deal with in the world. Critical people are like 30 grit sandpaper. They, they really are. They, every time you get around them, they're critical. They pick you apart. They, they criticize what you say and what you do and how you respond. Now, those of you that are watching or those of you that are here that are critical people, you've already found like five reasons why you don't like this church, right? It, it's too dark in here. The music's too loud. The pastor's incredibly too young. I get it. All right, I get it. You don't want to miss next week because we are going to talk about you, all right? So you want to make sure that you're here. But then the following week, we're going to talk about hypocritical people, people that say one thing and then they do something else, right? How does the Bible say that we're supposed to respond to people that are hypocrites? And then the final week, we're going to talk about people that try to manipulate us, manipulative people. They try to control us. They try to get us to do certain things that we don't really want to do. So, and I know, listen, if this is your first time, you're like, man, that guy, he's not very nice. He's picking on different groups of people, and I am, all right? But before you tune, tune off your, or turn off your computer screen, before you tune me out, there's something that every single one of us needs to acknowledge as we start this series. And maybe you would say, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. And, and I know there's a lot of you here that say, hey, I don't know what I believe yet. I still got a lot of questions. That's cool. That's awesome. But something we all need to acknowledge 
as we get started is we are all sand people. Every single one of us can be sand people at different times of our life. We've all been uh, hypocritical, right? We've all been needy. We've all been super critical of friends and family and people we don't even know. And others of us were manipulators, right? We try to manipulate people. So we're just like sand people at times. We rub people the wrong way. We're abrasive. We are those people. So that's what we have to acknowledge as we start. And some of those things we do as sand people, it's sinful. God doesn't like it, but we all do it. As a matter of fact, 1 John 1, 8. And kind of the way we do things at Blue Ridge, you got a note card. Some of you got a note card on the way in. Those will be available to you each week. If you like to take handwritten notes, those are for you. It's got some information on the church on one side, and on the back it's got a note section. You'll get a new one every week. Or you can download the Church Center app onto your phone. You can follow along with the notes. You can simply scan that QR code in your seat back. That's where all of our learnings and our verses will be if you want to follow along with those. Or you can just watch them on the screen. All right, so here's uh, the first verse we're going to look at, 1 John 1, 8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So right off the bat, let's just acknowledge we can be sand people. The good news is God loves sand people. He really does, and he shows us in the Scripture how to love, how to care for, how to minister to sand people. So let's look at what we would classify as needy people. Now, when I say that term needy, what do you think about? You probably think about somebody who's got a financial need, right? They, they got a financial need, but I want to take this beyond just people who have financial needs when we talk about needy people. I'm talking about people who have emotional needs as well. And you know people like this. There's people like this in your life. Their life is full of drama, Everything about them, it's full of drama. There's always a problem. They don't know what to do. They're always a victim. You know, the world's against me, and, and I don't know what to do. And you talk to them on the phone, let's say, and you talk to them for like 15 minutes. And as soon as you hang up the phone, what do they do? They call you back. Hey, man, are we okay? We good? You still love me? You still care about me? They're emotionally needy. Needy people will wear you out. These are the people that their world is constantly falling apart and they're in trouble. And I guarantee you, somebody's picture popped into your mind, right? Because we all know them. We know people who are needy. But we also know, on the other hand, all the times in our life, we've been incredibly needy. But maybe it's a spouse, a husband, a friend, a coworker, but we all know them. And when we come across those people who are needy, what we're going to talk about today, if we don't minister to them in the right way, we can actually end up hurting them. Now, it's in our nature. I don't care if you're, you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian. It's, it's in our nature often to want to help people, especially if you're a Christian. That's what we're called to do is to help people. So if we don't, though, minister to them in the right way, we could potentially hurt them or we could hurt ourselves. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. 
for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So if you're a follower of Christ, you are commanded to help people in need. And we generally want to do that. I think that's our nature. The problem is, again, if we don't do it in the right way, it's going to hurt them. Have you ever helped somebody who was needy, whether it's emotional need, financial need, and it was never enough? You just kept giving and giving, and it was never enough to get them to finally turn the corner in their life? And what did you end up doing? You pulled back, didn't you? You stopped. It's like, hey, they're taking advantage of my goodness. They're taking advantage of my generosity. It's never enough, so I'm going to stop, stop trying. What I'm going to propose today is maybe, just maybe, we're not ministering to them in the right way. And so we're going to look at truly what the Scripture talks about, how we can help people that's going to benefit them, that's going to set them up for long-term success. So as we go through this, I want you to think about there's two ways to help someone who's needy, all right? There's two types of help that we can offer them. One is immediate relief. When somebody has a need, like a tragedy or a loss or an unexpected financial burden, they need immediate relief, right? That's what they need right then. And I think for the most part, we do a great job of providing immediate relief. But then there's also long-term restoration, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you think about it, as a culture, even as a community, we do pretty good at immediate relief, especially like when natural disasters hit. I think back to 2005, and a lot of you remember Hurricane Katrina, and Justin and I were at a church in Abingdon, and within 48 hours of it making landfall, we had already filled two semi-tractor trailers, 53 feet long, full of supplies from the community, from the surrounding counties, and sent them to Biloxi, Mississippi. And we sent a missions team with them. We went down there and just followed the trucks. We set up shop at the police department. We handed out supplies, water and food and clothing. We cleaned up storm debris. We started cooking meals for people. And there was hundreds, literally, of other organizations doing the same thing. So I think, by and large, as a culture, we do a really good job of providing that immediate relief that needy people have. You, you do this in your day-to-day lives. One of your friends loses a loved one. You're there. You minister to them. You, you, you care for them. You pray for them. You take them a meal. You go visit. You do whatever it takes. Or somebody you know, in your circle of influence loses a job. What do you do? You jump in and you help. Hey, what can I do? What can we take over? Somebody's got to go out of town unexpectedly, and, and you take care of their house for them. So I think, by and large, we do a good job with the immediate relief. Well, let's talk about the other type of help that we can provide to somebody that's needy, and that's something that's not temporary. That's something that is a new lease on life. It's long term. They need to be made healthy again. It's not just helping them with immediate relief. It's giving them long-term restoration. And honestly, this is the part we're not good at. This is the part, by and large, we don't do very well at at all because it takes a serious commitment. It takes a lot of commitment 
on our part. But this is investing in someone for the long run to get them to back to where they were before the difficulty happened in their life or to even restore them to their God-given potential. And the reason we're not good at it is, again, is because it takes a lot of effort. This isn't just stroking a check and throwing money at a problem and thinking the problem's going to go away, right? This isn't just having one sit down, let's go grab coffee, and the problem disappears. Depending on who we're working with, if we're going to offer long-term restoration, this could take months or this could take years. Think about it. Uh, Working with somebody who's an addict, right? They're they're a drug addict. They're an alcoholic. A lot of you have worked with people like that. And let's say you've committed to help and restore them and you work with them and you talk with them and you meet with them and you encourage them all through this process and, and you get them set up in, in, in some type of rehab program or maybe AA or NA and, and they're doing great. And now they've got a sponsor and then three months down the road, they have a setback. And you're right there for them. And you, you, know, you pick up the pieces and you start the whole process over and you're meeting with them and you encourage them and you, you, know, you can do this and they're wanting to help themselves. And, and then over time, by the grace of God, that person is standing on their own two feet and they're completely clean. But that doesn't happen in a week. That doesn't happen in a month. It's a long process. And the truth is, most of us don't want to go through that long-term process. We just want to help in cases of relief. Or think about the person that's emotionally needy. They're insecure. They're, they have no self-worth, and they're trying to find all of that through you. You know, will you make me feel special? Will you be my friend? Will you encourage me? Will you strengthen me? And so you start working with them, and you start having regular lunch meetings with them, let's say, or you get together during the week and then you start, maybe you bring them to church and you start to see them get a little bit involved. You join a group and you ask them to join the group with you, or you get involved in a ministry and you ask them to serve with you. And over time, what you see is they start to get their sense of self-worth from God and not just from you, but it takes a lot of time. Or it's the person that never has any money. You know, we all know a person like that. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody you work with, but they never have enough money. And they're always broke. And you've given them money in the past, and that didn't work. It didn't change anything. Three days later, they were still broke. They still needed you to help them. You tried to give relief, but really what they needed was restoration. Right? Really what they needed was a whole new direction on life. So let's say you make the commitment to work with them and to restore them. And you start meeting with them and you start talking about budgeting and you build a budget with them. And every time they get paid, you sit down with them and you help them pay their bills and you, you show them how to, to, to manage that budget. And then over time, you start teaching them about credit and how they probably want to stay away from that. and They just want to pay cash and you know, work off their debit card. And then over time, you teach them to save, and they start saving. And eventually, by God's grace, they're standing on their own two financial feet, right? They're paying their bills. They're not asking for money. They're even helping other people. But that takes a tremendous amount of time. So here's our challenge when it comes to people 
in need is do we offer them relief, immediate relief, or do we offer to help restore them? And the truth is, a lot of times relief doesn't work. When we give people relief, it's short-lived. It never forces them to look and evaluate why they're having the struggles and the difficulties in their life. So today I want to look at an, I think is an incredible story in the Bible that's going to help you and I be prepared to offer people what they need, not just what they ask for, and to do it in a biblical way and even restore them to their God-given potential in life. And, and as I go through this, let me just put your mind at ease. I'm not saying you have to restore everyone. You don't have that kind of time, right? And, you know, relief we can do pretty quick. We write a check, we go volunteer, we do what else. But restoration takes time. So I love what Andy Stanley said. He said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one person in life or one person at a time what you wish you could do for everyone. So this isn't about saying, all right, those, you know, those crazy people in your family, I'm not asking you to restore all of them, all right? It's just one person. So let's look at this story. It's in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We'll start off with. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So let's just stop right there. So this guy's been lame since birth. He can't walk. All right, so that means somebody was taking him to the temple, dropping him off, picking him up, and taking him back home at the end of the day. And this dude has been trained that these people are going to give me immediate relief. They're going to give me money. They're going to give me food. They're going to take care of me. And he's smart. I mean, he sets up in front of the church. That's a pretty good idea, right? He knows what God teaches about helping people and generosity. He's like, that's where I'm going to set up shop. So people have been giving him immediate relief for years and years. Now let's read on verses three through 10. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold or Bitcoin for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now what happened? Peter and John worked with him. They did not give him money. They did not give him relief. They didn't give him immediate relief. They worked with him and God restored him. The problem is we don't work with people. We work for people, right? We solve their relationship problems. We fix their financial need. 
We solve their emotional needs. We work for them. We do whatever they ask us to do. We don't work with them. For some reason, we've kind of put ourselves a lot of times with people in need in this position that we're the Savior, right? We're the one that's key to them getting better, but we're not. As we see in this story, we are simply the instrument to point people to Jesus. That's what Peter and John did because that's what they need. To be healthy again, to be restored, ultimately they need a relationship with Christ. But from this story, we can see there's some things we need to talk to God about. We need to ask God when we encounter people in need because God's the solution for anyone. So if you're following along with the notes, learning number one, we need to ask God to help us give people what they need, not just what they want. That's what Peter did. He didn't give him money, right? He pointed him to Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. Well, somebody comes up and asks me for money and I point him to Jesus, they're going to be mad, right? Ah, I need 20 bucks. No, you need Jesus. Listen, but when we encounter something similar, that person that's asking us for something is going to tell us what they need. Or they're going to tell us what they want. And what we have to do is we have to ask God for wisdom to help us see beyond what that person is saying. They may not need money. They may need to reduce their expenses. They may need to live with some things that we think are necessities, without some things that we think are necessities. They may need to get a job. They may need to get a second job. They may need to move somewhere where the cost of living is cheaper where they can get a job. And I know, uh, especially if it's your first time, like that dude's not even a Christian that's speaking. He sounds mean. But listen, relief never gets people to the point or, or rarely gets people to the point of evaluating their life to make drastic changes to deal with the struggles that they're going through. I'm not being mean, but the underlying issue is not necessarily just a quick fix or immediate relief. Or, or think about, and don't think about it in terms of finances, think about the person who is emotionally needy and they're looking to you to meet all their personal needs. I need you to call me more. I need you to uh, text me more. I need you to acknowledge my Facebook post more. I need you to go out to lunch with me more. You're never going to be able to meet that need. We have to point them to someone who's going to reaffirm them and assure them and never let them down. And that is Christ. So a lot of times when we're doing restoration, we're going to have to point people to Christ. Because we know anybody that's life's been changed by Christ, you know that was the only answer for you. So do we offer relief or do we offer long-term restoration? And a lot of times I don't even allow relief as an option. I take marriage counseling. Let's say I'm working with a couple and they've had an, one of them's had an affair in that relationship. I never offer them relief. Well, I'll just get a divorce. That's relief, right? Just separate. I try to get them to restoration. And any time when you have that situation, the person who didn't have the affair wants to 100% pin it on the person who did have the affair. And I get it. It was tragic. It was sinful. 
It destroyed the trust in the relationship. It was as bad as it could possibly be. But instead of offering that person relief, we'll just divorce them for doing this. I try to get them to evaluate themselves, the one who didn't have the affair. And I'll ask questions like, was there a lack of intimacy at home? Did you take each other for granted? Was there a lack of communication? Was there a lack of spiritual development and a lack of of desire to want to go to church and to learn how to grow your relationship? Because I guarantee you the person that did not have the affair also did not 100% of the time uphold their end of the marriage covenant, right? That affair started weeks or months or even years before it actually took place. And when you can get a couple to see that, hey, restoration is a lot better long-term than just immediate relief and separating, it's incredible what they can do. I'm telling you, there's some married couples I know that are so much stronger than couples that have never even had any issues in their marriage because they work towards restoration. So a lot of times we may not even want to offer the person relief. We need to offer them restoration. And I guarantee you, you're going to be tempted just to give them relief, right? It's easier. It's quicker. It gets, it gets them off your plate, at least for a couple days. I guarantee you, Peter and uh, John were tempted just to give this guy money. Man, just give him some money. Let's get in the temple. Let's get on with, uh, you know, worship. We got to be a Cracker Barrel at 12. Just, just do it. Just give him some money. But they didn't do it, did they? We need to ask God to help us to see past what the person's asking for. And God, show us what they truly need. Here's something else we can ask. Corny number two, we need to ask God to help us stay out of his way. Right? We don't want to circumvent what God may be trying to do in that person's life that's asking us for relief. God set up a principle called sowing and reaping. A lot of you know this, maybe didn't even know it was one of God's principles. It was just something your parents or grandparents always said. But we are going to reap whatever it is that we sow in life. In other words, what that really means is there are consequences to our actions in life. That's the sowing and reaping principle. Galatians 6, 7 says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always reap what you sow. So God set up this system. If you and I sow bad seeds, guess what? We're going to reap a bad harvest. And the purpose of this principle is simply that you and I would learn. But so often we rescue people from the consequences of the bad seeds they've sown. They never have to face the consequences because we rescue them. Those of you that are parents, guilty. I'm a parent. I'm guilty too. We do it all the time, right? Oh, you didn't finish your homework. Well, bring it over here. I'll finish it for you. No parents even looking at me right now. They're just looking down. Oh, you didn't finish your science project and it's due tomorrow. Well, bring it over here and I'll help you to do that. Or your kid gets in trouble at school and you march right in and you immediately defend your kid without ever listening to the teacher. Listen, my dad never took my side. And for good reason. He always took the teacher's side because the teacher was right. 
But we do that because we don't want our kids to suffer the consequences of their bad decisions. Or your kid breaks their cell phone. And instead of making them save money to buy another one and get some jobs around the neighborhood and and save their Christmas money and their birthday money to buy a new one, what do we do? We rush right out and buy them a new one. Or we let our kids live with us till they're like 40 or 45 years old. Because we don't want them to face the consequences. There's a great story in Luke chapter 15. You know, this is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, but it's the story of the prodigal son. And I love what the dad did not do for his kid. Now, if you know the story, the son comes and asks his dad for his inheritance. The dad's still living. The dad gives it to him. And he goes off and squanders every bit of his inheritance, blows it. And he ends up working in a pig pen, living with the pigs and feeding pigs. And he's eating the pods because he's so hungry that he's feeding the pigs. What his dad did not do was go rescue him from the consequences of his poor decisions, right? He made him learn from him. Listen to what the Bible says, uh, Luke 15. When he finally came to his senses, this is talking about the son, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He came to his senses. In other words, he learned the sowing and reaping principle. He learned from the consequences of the bad seeds he had sown. And the dad was right on board because he wanted his son to be restored. And he, he let those consequences play out. Some of the time, most of the time, when you're working with someone who's needy, you have to let the consequences play out in their life. We have to say, hey, because I love you, because I care about you, I'm not going to rescue you. Because I care about you so much, I'm not going to interfere in, with God's given consequences that are in your life because you sowed bad seeds and made bad decisions. And I know that sounds harsh. And I know I sound mean, but listen, we don't learn things except sometimes through the hard way. We learn the hard way. Here's the third thing we need to ask God, which is so important. Learning number three, we need to ask God to remind us that we are needy too. When we're working with people in need, we need to be reminded by God that we're needy too. And because we're needy and because we're sand people, God is our answer too. Just like he's the answer for other people. And I really believe this is the key to the whole thing. If we want to help people that are in need, we need to recognize, hey, we're in need too. We really are. Psalm 70 verse 5, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. When we realize we're in need, and when we realize, then, and we realize we're not the Savior, we will start pointing people to Jesus. When we realize that we're in need, we'll point people to Christ instead of trying to solve all their problems for them. 
God doesn't need us to meet everybody's needs. That's, we can relax. That's good news. He just wants to use us like he did Peter and John to point people to him. Again, he's the great restorer. He's the power and he's the strength that can restore anyone. Listen, I'm in need. You're in need. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. I need support. You need support. And when we land there together, I can help you connect with Christ who's going to meet your needs. And you can help me to connect with Christ who's going to meet my needs. So ultimately the answer is Christ. And as we encounter needy people, which we're going to daily in our life, we need to be restorers instead of just relievers all the time. We need to offer long-term solutions and not always short-term fixes. And we may only be able to help one person at a time. You may be a superstar. You may be able to help two people at a time, but that's okay. If we all help one and do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, how different would the world be? Ultimately, we need to point people to Jesus for their needs. We don't need to meet them, but we need to point them to Christ who will meet every need. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much, A, for just loving us. That, that in and of itself is amazing. But God, help us to love and to minister and to care for sand people, difficult people, people just like us. And Lord, ultimately help us first to see our need for you. Because if we see our need for you, we'll point other people to you as well. And Lord, if we do an evaluation, the only thing that changed us or fixed us was you. And a lot of us, we had to learn the hard way. Maybe right now as we're praying, you could ask God to show you somebody in your life that you could help, someone who's needy. Who is it you could help? Just pray for that person. Pray for them right now. God, all these people that have come to our minds, we lift up to you. Whether it's emotional needs, physical needs, financial needs, vocation needs, we lift them up to you. We pray that you would open doors for them to receive the restoration they need. And if it's us, Lord, we'll do it. For those that are hurting and needy right now, today, in this building, watching online, Lord, I lift them up to you. Help us to point people to you, knowing you are the answer. You're the one that changed our life, and you can change anybody's life. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, just a couple of things. Uh, you can finish filling out those online connection cards. You can get those through the Church Center app or that QR code. If you need more information about the church, if you have a prayer request, I want to encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards. If you're worshiping through generosity and giving back, you can do that online or you can do that in the black boxes in the back. Group leader sign up start today. 
for fall groups. Maybe you've thought about leading a group. This is the time to sign up to do that. And what a great way for somebody who needs some reassurance in their life and needs some encouragement in their life. Bring them to a group. Invite them to a group or your group that you're going to start. But the signups are start today and they'll go for a couple of weeks and then we'll have actual group signups in a few weeks. I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you tuning in online. I know you could have been doing anything else today, but you chose to be here and to worship God. And I thank you for that. I hope you'll bring a friend with you next week. God bless you. Have a terrific Labor Day and we'll see you next Sunday.